Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that has a genuine, honest, Abe, God-given superpower. I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. Together, we're working our way through the entirety of the MCU, and we work for S.H.I.E.L.D., the real S.H.I.E.L.D. No, not that one, like the other real S.H.I.E.L.D., So listen up, a-holes. We're going to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2, Episodes 14 through 16. All right, Lonnie, this is the episode of Listen Up, A-holes, where I come up dry for four-color facts (laughs) that are specifically related to this set of episodes. Mm-hmm. It's a tempest in a teapot too small to relate to the 616. <laughs> and by the way, before anyone asks me, I refuse to talk about Sky until someone actually says her damn name out loud. <laughs> However, thanks to Jim's extremely questionable gifts of power dampening <laughs> gloves, and because I know Sky eventually gets gauntlets that are awesome, let's talk mm-hmm. about the tools of superheroing. I love it. Not weapons, mind you. Mm-hmm. Those are a dime a dozen. You got your indestructible shields and magic hammers and your flying fortress of armor. <laughs> We're not talking about that stuff. We're talking about tools. Things meant to mm-hmm. enhance your abilities or just generally make superheroing easier. It's equipment that just doesn't get the attention it deserves, and we're doing it today. Are you ready? I love it. I am ready. Go for it. Okay, number one with a bullet, as far as I'm concerned, is Spider-Man's Web Shooters. Mm-hmm. First appearing in Amazing Fantasy, number 15, 1962, incidentally, also the first appearance of Spider-Man. Oh, my God. Technically speaking, not the first example of the superhero tool, but for my money, the best. Mm-hmm. Spidey's web shooters are just a fantastic piece of technology that says quite a lot about Peter Parker as a character. And this is the real joy opens up all kinds of story possibilities. <laughs> Peter solves his problems with science, including realizing that a human spider needs a web and making himself one. He is, this is a thing that's like been on the back of Spider-Man trading cards and stuff. Peter Parker uh-huh. is the unofficial and unknown expert on spiders' webs and the way that they spin mm-hmm. them. Oh, wow. Because his web shooters are as much as possible based on the actual way that spiders spin webs. Mm-hmm. Kind of cool. So in addition to the usual swinging and webbing up bad guys, Spidey has made a baseball bat, a shield, a parachute, little packages for his civilian clothes when he has to change in an alley or on a rooftop. (laughs) Wait, all out of all out of spider webs? Well, he just folds them up and then webs them to a wall. Well, there you go. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's made a boat, a sling for a broken arm (laughs) and just a million other things. Wow. And as for the web fluid itself, he has made it stronger for more physically Mm -hmm. powerful foes. Uh, He's given it a greater level of insulation so that he can fight against Electro. And he's Uh created little gadgets like impact webbing that are like little web balls that explode into a net when they hit you. Wow. But that's not all. It creates dramatic (laughs) moments 
Uh-huh. For instance, he runs out of web fluid at inopportune times a lot. Oh, sure. <laughs> right? It's just fun. Like, oh, this is a really bad time to run out of web fluid. That's when it happens. <laughs> and it also creates moments of hilarity. My favorite example being the day that Luke Cage was like, well, I got to go punch that electric guy. But every time I punch him, it shocks the piss out of me. What can you do about mm-hmm. it? And Spidey's like, uh, I fought him a lot. I made my webs insulated so that I could punch him with them. And Luke says, web them up. And so Spidey like makes boxing gloves around his hands and he goes and takes Electro out in like three punches. And then he turns around and says, now take it off of me. And Spidey's like, that's not how this works. You just got to wait an hour. I love it. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Now, I actually have more to say about Spider-Man's web shooters in general, um, especially Mm -hmm. in terms of how they were used in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. I did that for another thing that wound up not being produced, which is fine because that means that our patrons will get that extra bit of audio talking more about Spider-Man's web shooters. It's a Patreon exclusive. Buckle up, friends. Awesome. Patreon.com slash chipperish. Go grab it. Okay. Number two on my list, the Bat Family Utility Belts. First appearance of Batman's utility belt is in Detective Comics number 29 in 1939, which is two issues after Batman's own first appearance. Wow. Now, this is the first example of the superhero tool. And of course, it comes on a literal tool belt. Right. Mm -hmm. Now... Also, the second best example after web shooters. I got to give web shooters the props, but the utility belts are, (laughs) are you number two with a bullet? I don't know. Number two with a batarang. (laughs) So obviously it does carry some weapons like the famous batarangs, Mm -hmm. but mainly the utility belt is a place for Batman and his various protégés to keep the tools of their trade. Gas masks, rebreathers, smoke bombs, anti-venoms, fingerprint detection kits, evidence collection tools, grapple guns, and so much (laughs) more is right there at their crime-fighting fingertips. Wow. Now, absolutely, this device has been used as a get-out-of-jail-free card in many Batman stories (laughs) and even taken to an absurdist level on Batman 66. But you can't argue with the iconic status nor the character-illuminating and story-enhancing characteristics of the utility belt. I love it. However, I would be remiss if I didn't also mention Wonder Woman's golden lasso. Sure. First appearance is Sensation Comics number 6, 1942, roughly one year after Wonder Woman's own first appearance. Mm-hmm. Many will tell you that the Lasso of Truth was created by William Moulton Marston because of his work on an early version of the lie detector. This is incredibly mm-hmm. disputable. <laughs> he is actually on record as saying that the Golden Lasso is much more based on his research into human emotions. Uh-huh. He proposed that quote-unquote feminine allure could cause submission <laughs> to a positive controller rather than a harsh negative one. Okay. And he personified that in Wonder Woman's lasso. However, as amazing as it is that the golden rope can force others to submit to Diana's will and like it, (laughs) it is also unbreakable and can stretch to nearly infinite lengths. And if you don't see Uh the usefulness of a hunk of rope that will never break and stretch really long, wielded by a super strong person, then I cannot help you. (laughs) It's too handy. 
<laughs> right. While we're staying on the DC side of the street, let's also talk about Wonder Woman's invisible jet. Mm-hmm. First appearance, Sensation Comics number one, 1942. Again, just one year after Wonder Woman's first appearance. Mm-hmm. So Wonder Woman has an entirely invisible jet <laughs> that can be telepathically controlled via her tiara. But she's still fiz- visible when she's in it, though, right? She is not. That is actually a common oh. misconception because of the way that okay, it was drawn on Super show, Friends. Okay, right? Oh, okay. So th- think about this. You've got to show an invisible mm-hmm. jet, and you've got to show that Wonder yeah. Woman is flying it, and you've got to do this for children. Right. So you draw a dotted white line in the shape of a jet uh-huh. and you let them see Wonder Woman. Right. But let's be honest, that's dumb. Like, that's just for us, the viewer. That's not how an invisible jet would work. Right. And she controls it with her tiara. Yes. That's interesting. Absolutely. She Because she rides on it sometimes or rides on the wing mm-hmm. or whatever, but she's still flying it because mm-hmm. she's using her brain. Well, plus it's invisible, so she'd need a way to control it that doesn't make like require her to see the where the buttons are. You are like, not so wrong. I, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that you were going to go with figuring out where you parked it because you can't walk around right. with your keychain when the lights flash because they're invisible. Right. That's not how this works. Oh, man. Yeah. So I love the invisible jet and it has largely mm-hmm. fallen by the wayside because now Wonder Woman can fly under her own power. But mm-hmm. as far as the sort of like entirety of her history, that's a relatively recent development. And for the vast majority of it, she flew around in an invisible jet. Wow. I love that thing. <laughs> While we're staying in the high flying skies, let's talk about Falcon's wings. Okay. The first appearance of the version that I am talking about is in Captain America mm-hmm. and the Falcon number seven in 2004. Wow. Now, Falcon had a flying harness longer than that, but this is this is the big like technological update to where we're not just looking exactly the way that we looked in 1965. Right. Mm-hmm. So remember that at first, Falcon's namesake came from his sidekick, Red Wing, an actual Falcon with which mm-hmm. Sam had a mental link. That's it. Mm-hmm. He was the Falcon because he could talk to Falcons. All right. Captain America requested that Black Panther create a wing harness for Falcon, and T'Challa has done so twice. I'm going to look mm-hmm. at that more updated version. It has an emitter array on Falcon's back that creates hard light holographic wings that can expand and contract up to a distance of 50 feet. Wow. It gives Sam incredible control while he's in flight. His thrust comes from a magnetic drive, which I read to be similar to like impeller drives that a lot of smart science fiction discusses faster than light engines when they're much bigger. Mm-hmm. Like obviously Falcon goes faster than light with this thing and he would rip himself to shreds. That's not what right. I'm talking about. But the idea that you would just fly on magnetic waves is scientifically plausible. Okay. I mean, that's really what a maglev train does. Mm-hmm. Kinda. Don't at me again. It's comic book science, you guys. It just has to be close enough. Now, this rig is solar powered and draws on the magnetic fields of the Earth, so it's effectively self-sustaining. The suit it's connected to has vibranium microweave, giving Sam some additional protection in battle. The cowl of the suit connects Sam's mind to the wings, and the visor gives him an array of vision-based powers, including 360 degrees if he wants it. 
Wow. It is a pretty fantastic piece of technology. And yes, Sam can also still talk to birds. MCU <laughs> Sam needs to get on this level. <laughs> I love it. So that's it. I love these tools of superheroing. I mean, I mean, we could have gone all over the place with like Daredevil's Billy Club and Captain mm-hmm. America's Shield and just, you know, the fact that Hawkeye exists at all. <laughs> We could have done that, but I want to look at tools, tools. No, I like that. And I like the thematic, you know, where we, we take something and we kind of go into these these interesting sort of almost like BuzzFeed listicles. You know, I like it. I think it's very cool. <laughs> That's right. When Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. lets us down, here's the top five ideas that Josh comes up with. Right. No, I think it's awesome. And now I think it's good if we just move right into the episode summaries. In Love in the Time of Hydra, Ward and Agent 33 kidnap a scientist to get her face mask working and then break into Talbot's compound to get Sunil Bakshi, whose compliance will probably not be rewarded. Coulson removes Skye from active duty and takes her to a little mountain hideaway that's only a tiny bit like a prison and that she can't leave the grounds or an invisible fence will electrocute her. And at the other S.H.I.E.L.D., Mac and Bobby try to get Hunter to accept that they totally work for S.H.I.E.L.D. It's just not Coulson's S.H.I.E.L.D. Hunter isn't buying it and manages to escape. Love in the Time of Hydra aired on March 24th, 2015 and was written by Brent Fletcher and directed by Jesse Bochco. In One Door Closes, we go back in time to watch what happened to Bobby and Mac the day that S.H.I.E.L.D. fell, and they teamed up with Gonzalez to save the day. In the now, Bobby and Mac return to Coulson's S.H.I.E.L.D. HQ to steal Fury's toolbox, but the team is on to them. Doesn't really matter, though, because Gonzalez fills the place with Dendatroxin, knocking everyone out except his agents. Gonzalez takes over S.H.I.E.L.D. HQ and takes Coulson prisoner while giving everyone else a chance to choose their loyalties. At the mountain hideaway, Skye gets a visit from Gordon, who talks to her about her gift and offers to take her to a safe place where she can just be who she is. She's not into it until Bobby and New S.H.I.E.L.D. come tearing into the place. Skye uses her powers to hold them off and calls for Gordon, who flashes in and takes her away. Meanwhile, at New Shield, which tastes weirder than regular (laughs) Shield and won't last very long, May helps Coulson escape, and he and Hunter meet up in a bar on what appears to be a tropical island. So, okay. (laughs) One Door Closes aired on March 31st, 2015, and was written by Lauren LaFranc and Rafe Judkins, and directed by David Solomon. In Afterlife, Skye is taken to Afterlife, a safe haven for powered people, and is given a personal orientation by Lincoln, a med student. He tells her that her transformation is irreversible, but they can help her control her gifts. Gordon visits with an imprisoned Cal who wants to see Skye, but Jia Ying tells him that he can't because he's too unstable. Skye finds out Reina is in Afterlife and she goes to confront her, but Jia Ying interferes, offering to be Skye's guide without telling her that she's also her mother. Meanwhile, Coulson and Hunter escape to the mountain hideaway, drawing Gonzalez and his team in to capture them. They try to trick him and are outnumbered, but Mike Peterson, aka Deathlock, saves the day and they escape. Gonzalez thinks Coulson is too dangerous and wants to take him out, but luckily there's a board making decisions so nothing will ever actually get done. Fitz and Simmons pretend to fight and perform sleight of hand with the toolbox, and Fitz leaves, taking the real one with him and leaving a decoy behind with Simmons. 
Afterlife aired on April 7th, 2015 and was written by Craig Titley and directed by Kevin Hooks. All right. So, Joshua, um, these three episodes, not really great episodes in the run <laughs> of all of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. How are you feeling about these episodes? Um, I kind of hate them. Yeah. Like, they're really not good. Like, the other ones I didn't, like, the last batch I didn't enjoy, but I at least understood what they were doing. And these, mm-hmm. I'm just like... Why are we doing this? All of yeah, it. it does feel a little weird. And it feels like kind of a waste. Like if you bring, you know, Edward James almost like on your show, right? Yeah. I mean, you do it for something that's like worth it. But it doesn't seem it's not that interesting. It lasts for a couple of episodes. It's not that big deal. And we've been building up this whole like betrayal from Bobby and Mac and what's going on. And then it turns out that they're also working for S.H.I.E.L.D. And they're still kind of good guys but i think it like it does kind of open up this interesting space for a discussion about like the nature of loyalty right because you know we have our shield right which is to us the real shield you know and there are i mean it's a tiny team it's basically colson's shield you know um they are loyal to colson versus necessarily being loyal to the organization of shield itself and um, I don't know. I mean, I think that kind of raises some interesting questions. I mean, what do you think about that? I think it raises a ton of interesting questions. And mm-hmm. if the show actually answers any of them, I will <laughs> drop dead from shock. <laughs> well, I mean, I think one of the questions that it raises is, are Bobby and Mac wrong in what they're doing? Are they the bad guys now? Everyone is wrong, Lonnie. Everyone <laughs> is wrong. I'm not even, this is not even like, I'm not even just going for the joke. Like everyone in this situation is wrong about Mm -hmm. everything. Right. But it does seem, okay. I don't know. I mean, because we have this personal like mandate that sort of came from Fury, you know, who was the director to Coulson. But it's not like you get to choose your successor. Right. I think Gonzalez made a really good point with that whole Fury acted like, the king of shield and he left behind an heir and i was like oh hey you know what i actually think way too hard about these things most of the time and i literally Mm -hmm. hadn't asked to whom is shield beholden and the answer is nobody and that's terrifying no 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 yeah no it is it's kind of crazy don't think they're gonna fix that you know Uh uh-huh um yeah, so that's, yeah, that was really concerning. I just hadn't even thought about it until now because I was just like, hey, look, it's a ride. We're on a journey. <laughs> We're doing this thing. You know, and I think it's it's interesting because, you know, and I think because it is a spy show, right, we always end up in these areas of betrayal. You know, I mean, these people are lying liars who lie for a living. That they would lie to each other, I think, is pretty much probably par for the course. But we do have this familial sense within this core group that they are loyal to each other and that it's it's really a personal thing you know funded by shield and fury and whatever you know um but without necessarily being about the ideal of it like you know what is it that they are supposed to do they are supposed to be the shield you know that protects people but 
from I, I what guess if you don't, on yeah. who say so. Right. How do you if you don't have like a system in place that tells you, you know, what the lines are, what the rules are, how this works, you know, it's it's a little bit weird. I guess the thing though that like the betrayal of Bobby and Mac, you know, I, I thought was was interesting. I love Mac with my whole I don't care as much about Bobby as I want to care about Bobby. Bunkers. My heart is broken that now Bobby is villainous. Broken. Okay. See, Mac is the one that I love. Mac is the one that I connect with. Mac is the one who connected with Fitz, you know, called him Turbo, brought him out of his shell, helped him transition from his old life to his new life. Like, Mac is the business for me, you know? And so for Mac to, um, you know, sabotage the little Lola, right? You know, yeah. which is a sacred thing. To to put, a you know, a spy gadget inside the car um, for Coulson feels like a real betrayal like Bobby I just don't care about as much and I, I I can't get myself to care about her that much I like Hunter you know this is I think so I, backwards <laughs> I think I'm the only one who likes Hunter though I mean honestly like I think everybody hates Hunter except for me I'm pretty I like sure him so okay everybody... yeah I mean I like if we're if we're gonna have you know like a custody battle I want Bobby in the divorce Right. I'll but take I like Hunter, Hunter fine. <laughs> He's fine. Yeah. And to be honest, Mac betraying the team is actually really very hurtful because he's really been a part of Fitz's, yeah. you know, return to some kind of, you know, something like normalcy for him, right? For oh, Fitz. God. And when, and when he calls him Turbo... And Fitz says, my friend Mac can call me Turbo. Right. You know, and, and then right. he calls him Fitz. Yeah, no, but it's such a great moment. And I mean, especially for Fitz, betrayal and loyalty yeah. are like the core values for Fitz. You know, so when people betray him, that is, he feels it personally, like so personally, I think more than anybody else. And for Mac to have done that, I mean, my God. You know, when I was saying... It's going to be kind of a hill to climb to rehabilitate mm -hmm. Fitzsimmons for me because yeah. they're not getting along. Now I feel like that about the entire team. <laughs> because I know that everybody has to be able to get together at the family Thanksgiving without wanting yeah. to murder each other after this mm -hmm. is all said and done. And I'm like, you guys really have painted yourselves into a corner with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to see how it shakes out because we have this essential division, you know. Um, but, you know, I mean, Bobby is still trying to protect everybody, though. I mean, she's like, you know, when when they go to get Sky, she's she wants to go along. A friendly face will help. You know, um, she's trying to give people choices about, you know, it's not like when Hydra took over and they were like, hi, you join or you die right, or right. you're loyal to, you know. Um, I mean, they're really trying to say this is actual shield, you know. But the fact is that it's all just people kind of being shield without their, there is no shield. Shield yeah. has been dismantled. It is a terrorist organization. I was like, about to far, say, do you know yeah. what we call espionage organizations that are not connected to governments? Mm -hmm. terrorists right. do you know what we call two groups of espionage people that want to use the same name <laughs> terrorists with their priorities messed up terrorists with an identity issue yeah right? it's <laughs> just a variety and 
Yeah. So so they're trying to leave Bobby in a place where we can be sympathetic to her so that she can come right. back for family Thanksgiving eventually. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the process, what they are actually doing is making Shadow Shield look even worse. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I think they actually wanted us to feel like Shadow Shield had a point. Mm-hmm. Except they're striding around the place being all, you know, Hydra light. With Bobby yeah. being the voice of reason, and I'm yeah, like, yeah, they are like Diet Hydra. Yeah, I mean, they really are. You oh, know? that's even better. Like your your new shield, so you taste <laughs> funny and won't be around for very long, and your uh, your your Hydra light, so you're like a uh, Diet Nazis. Great. Sure. <laughs> and I yeah, believe I we are snarking our way into why I super don't care about this situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's not. It's it's not that great. And we've got like this whole episode of these flashbacks. And while it is awesome to see Isabel Hartley, a.k.a. Yeah. Lucy Lawless again for even a short period of time being badass as always, um, I, you know, first of all, you know how I feel about flashbacks generally a clunky and, and not very effective narrative device accurate um, in this In this case, right, because it's all expositional and it takes up half the episode. You know, it's like, I don't need that much exposition. Like, you know, we have to explain how you guys like, you know, I get it. You guys were on the thing. Shield fell and you built new shield, you know, not entirely dissimilar to what Coulson did. Right. You know, except he had Fury's toolbox and the, you know, the the, uh, approval of the king or whatever, you know. Um, Although Gonzalez does make a really good point with that because it is not a, it's not a personality thing. It's a government thing. But also he's not with the government. The government is not supporting him. This is disbanded. Gonzalez makes a really good point that also wildly undermines his own point. Exactly. It's no, it not, really does. Everyone is His wrong. Own claim, right? Everyone yeah, is wrong. yeah. You know. Um, so yeah. So it's 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 not that compelling. We have this whole thing, this division with Bobby and Hunter. You know, and like she had to betray him, and now he's so betrayed, and he, you know, is so <laughs> mad about everything, and like all this stuff with their relationship. And here's the thing, Bobby and Hunter. I don't care i am always one to ship the romance i love romance i'm in it you know um bobby and hunter i don't care and i think part of it is that i i I don't i honestly i don't know i mean do you like care about them as a couple i sort of theoretically care about them as a couple in their show that didn't happen right right (laughs) super spy thin man i Mm -hmm. care about yeah but in the terms of what's going on here i'm like Okay, so literally every time, including the first time they met, they fall in love, and then Bobby screws Hunter over. Right. Hunter's an idiot, and and Bobby is a little too into the spy gang, is a little too into the spy gig to, you know, be a good partner. To have a relationship, right? Exactly. Stop it. You know? Exactly. Well, you know, I mean, Hunter, at least, I think, like, he... He genuinely loves her, you know, like he just does. And I think that I I buy that from him and I feel like his sense of betrayal. And also, I like the fact that he's like, this is on me. You do this every time. I can't act like I'm surprised. Like, I I appreciate that from him. You know, he takes that responsibility that this is not a shock, you know, because he was talking about the first time that they met. And he was like, but you still got the intel. And she's like, yeah, because I rock at my job. And that's great. You know, I love a love story between a person and their job. I think that's awesome, you know, Um, but I don't believe that she loves him. 
I just don't. Um, well, and I don't does, really care. It's not enough to stop being awful. Like, like, yeah, it's Frog and the Scorpion, and she can't mm-hmm. stop being a scorpion. Right. I yeah. Which is fine because she knows what she is and he knows what she is and he signs up for this every time. But he's like, you know, it's like Lucy and Charlie Brown with the football. You know, every yes. time she pulls the football and he lands on his ass, he's like, God damn it. You know, but like you knew that was coming. You signed up for it the second you did. Yeah. I don't like either one of them anymore. You know, I still I still like Hunter. I love Hunter. I love when he <laughs> jumps off. He steals a pod and jumps off the boat. Oh, my and they're God. Like, yeah, he's going to be in the water for 12 hours. And he's just like, whatever. Then happens to be able. I don't even know how did he get the message to Coulson to meet him in that tropical bar. And then him and Coulson together, you know, in the buddy cop scenario. I kind of love. I love when they steal Honest Eddie's car. You know, yes. I love. I love when Colson pulls out the icer and is like, "Tiger's been loose for a while, Eddie." And just <laughs> shoots him. I mean, I I love the two of them together in the buddy cop. I think it's great. There are bookends where I enjoy mm-hmm. Hunter, and yes. the opening bookend is him escaping the aircraft carrier. Yes. Like Mm -hmm. he is the most competent that we have ever seen him. He outdoes Mm -hmm. every, you know, a boat full of shield agents and is like, oh, they think I can't escape. (laughs) Love that. I like the buddy cop stuff. The other Mm -hmm. bookend where it ends is when he turns into a big giant whiner about everything. (laughs) He's just the saddest sack. Like, I didn't know we were going to have to walk. Your plan is not that good. It's just... (laughs) Huh? Cry to your mama. Oh, but I love the moment where he sits down, he grabs a napkin and he signs and he says, that's my contract. I mean, That is within just, my bookends. It is within your bookends. It's very good. So I don't know. I got a, I got a thing for Hunter. You know, I just like disaffected British men. I don't know. It's just it's it's my catnip. So okay. anyway, <laughs> speaking of disaffected British men. So we've got Fitz. Right? <laughs> we've got Fitz and Simmons in this in these episodes and you know fighting and they don't connect to each other she calls him Leo which is bad like nothing good is going to happen in an interaction where she calls him Leo he calls her Gemma like Gemma and Simmons about half and half so it doesn't necessarily mean that but when they bite at each other and she's like Leo and he's like Gemma you know I do think usually when he says Gemma he is being a little snarky at her it just used to be friendly Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no we're doing this differently Gemma you know yeah yeah but yeah her calling him Leo is just a punch in the face it is. It really is. You know, and the thing is that she hasn't been that aggressive with him. Like he's been aggressive and she's just like, oh, Fitz, you know, and it's just like that. You know, that's basically all of their interactions where he's like, just talk to me and be honest. And she's like, oh, Fitz. And she won't say anything, you know. Um, but now we have this like genuine conflict between them. And he, of course, is identifying so much with Sky, you know, because he mm-hmm. changed and Sky changed and he sees it as basically the same thing. And we've got, you know, Gemma making these gauntlets for Sky to help her heal and to like help her control her power and keep it from hurting her. Supposedly. Um, I know you you give that a severe side eye. And I think that's really interesting because I read it completely differently. Tell everybody how you read it. Well, we've been doing this kind of enemy from within thing yeah. mm-hmm. for a minute, right? We did it with the Inhumans, like my own genetics are against me, you know? Right. And, mm-hmm. and obviously that is coming out big time now that we have new shield 
other shield, shadow shield, yeah. diet hydra, yeah. what have you. <laughs> diet hydra. <laughs> like all of that is coming out. It's really mm-hmm. big in these. And every time they talked about these gloves. Yeah. I really kept expecting them to be doing something to Sky that they were not being upfront about. Coulson yeah. is very circumspect and weird about it. Gemma is very circumspect and weird about it. There's a lot of like sinister stuff around it. Like if it's not a thing, why would she not just put them on? Like what Coulson makes it sound like there's a decision, right? Yeah. And he makes it sound like it's like a, a fork in the road. You've got to decide mm-hmm. what you want. But right. they're just there to help her heal. So no, and I when mean, she they says, also dampen they dampen the powers. They do dampen the powers, mm-hmm. but but he kind of talks about that like as an afterthought, like, oh, by the way, they'll also do that. And when she says, Are there side effects? He says, Yeah, but then never explains them. Right. But he says Gemma will talk to you about it. Like your doctor will talk to you about the side effects, which okay. is essentially Gemma's role. And then we have Sky talking, doing like the Skype chat with Gemma later. And so I always presume that she explained fully the side effects at that point, And then Sky made her choice. OK, but let's but talk have... about Gemma's reaction to Sky since literally minute one. Right. She has mm-hmm. been off the rails. Yes. She Gemma is. Way paranoid. Mm-hmm. And is freaking out about the changes to Sky. Like, I yes. do not expect her to make rational decisions based upon her friendship with Sky or who mm-hmm. Sky has been up until now, which is, you know, mm-hmm. that's a whole question mark because she hasn't really been anybody. But that's a whole, <laughs> you know. And, and so with all of that lead up, like clearly mm-hmm. in the Fitz and Simmons discuss Sky conversation, Fitz is the voice of reason and Simmons is paranoid and delusionary. Mm-hmm. And, oh, she just happens to make things that have side effects that nobody's talking about. It looks very <laughs> sinister. No, I get I get how you read it that way. I really do. I have never, ever read it that way. And I think it's just because I trust Gemma. Like, I understand that she um, that she's weirded out by what's going on with Sky, that she feels responsible for what happened to Trip, and she's still carrying that trauma, that she's dealing with the loss of her best friend, you know, so she doesn't have somebody to kind of like bounce this stuff off of and process it with. And so she's processing it, I think, poorly. You know, I mean, she compares Sky to the Hulk, you know. Oh, um, oh I'm sorry. Did you Did you think she made... Like, attractive and helpful gloves for the Hulk, Lonnie? <laughs> I think she made them for Sky. You know, I mean, the argument that she has with uh, with Fitz at that point where she's like, you know, I think the Hulk, given the choice, would want to not be the Hulk anymore. And then, you know, Fitz says, well, I think we're really glad that he doesn't have that choice or we'd all be dead, you know. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> he's, he's making a point, too, you know, and I think that this... Um, you know, this this kind of thing that does happen in some of these superhero stories where it is um, it is something that just happens and you don't have control over it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you're you're this thing, you know, and you have to kind of deal with that consequence, the consequence of things that you don't necessarily have all that much control over. Um, I think it's a really, really interesting, crunchy space to take like the superhero thing. Um, but here we have Sky, you know, with these powers and she is hurting herself. You know, I mean, it is hurting her. And I think that I think that Gemma genuinely made these gauntlets to keep her, you know, to minimize the the damage that it does to Sky and to um, to like, you know, dampen the powers so that they're easier for Sky to control. 
And that's my understanding of what she's doing. Like rather than doing some shady stuff. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. But I'm now saying that because I realize all that stuff I was reading is super sinister comes 97 seconds before they rehabilitate Gemma before our eyes. Yes. No. Yes, they do. Which, which is, is like the best. Is it though? I love it. I love her getting into bad girl shenanigans with Fitz. Sure. I like that. I feel like it happens a little quickly. It does happen a little quickly, but I think that that Gemma has come around. I think that once, you know, all of this stuff has gotten way out of control, that she and Fitz will end up on the same side and they will work together, you know, and so... Gemma thinks that they were never not on the same side, but let's look at this from Fitz's perspective. Well, mm-hmm. I've been horribly betrayed by my best friend for my entire life, Gemma Simmons. Mm-hmm. I have been rehabilitated by my new best friend, Mac, <laughs> who just completely betrayed me. Why yeah. would I go back to this other betrayal in order to re-betray this guy? I think for Fitz that he's upset with Gemma, but when it comes right down to it, he knows who she is. You know, and she I think I don't think that he sees what she did as much of a betrayal, you know, as what Mac did. You know, um, I think that he sees Gemma just struggling with everything that happened, genuinely struggling and not trying to hurt him, but but hurting him still, you know. And then once they get the chance to be on the same team, they both come together and they make that shit happen. And I absolutely love that. I love Gemma's moment where she's, you know, like riding the momentum of the way in which Bobby would underestimate her. Yeah. You know, to get Bobby knocked out. I love love that i mean i think that that is a really great moment for Gemma, and i think that when i think that when things are stable she and fitz will have their differences and like argue and bicker but when shit hits the fan they're gonna be together and the the bad girl shenanigans and i think the bad girl shenanigans is so fun but on top of that she made him the sandwich buffalo mozzarella and prosciutto with just a hint of pesto aioli and i just i love that she took the time out from this huge thing that's going on to make him his signature sandwich it's just i love it i think that the way you describe their relationship is definitely the way that they were written for the span of this episode where we <laughs> needed them to get back together real quick <laughs> I just don't but think it doesn't they feel did the work. to you, just, right? They didn't earn it. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. I understand. Mm-hmm. It's fine, but also I don't know too. Like I don't think I'm out of nowhere. Like I really think there was a lot of like, or is it around these gloves and around the way Simmons yeah. has been reacting to everything, and yeah. then all of a sudden we're supposed to be pals again because this damn sandwich, and I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> No, I get it. Like, I see, I see where you're reading that from. But everybody out there sh- listening should know that we here at Chipperish Media also need, on occasion, our buffalo mozzarella with uh, a hint of pesto, aioli, and prosciutto sandwiches. And because of that, we need your support. You guys are the ones who make it possible. We do these shows with no advertising at all, so it is entirely listener supported. And if you want to make sure that we can make the most wonderful signature chipper sandwiches that we possibly can head on over to patreon.com slash chipperish and throw in a dollar a month three dollars a month you get great exclusive content that you can access um, and also you get to, to uh, join in on the discord where a lot of really great discussion is happening 
brain around all of these things that we love to kind of tear into here on Listen Up A-Holes. So everybody head on over to patreon.com slash chipperish. Find out how you can become a supporter of Chipperish Media. All right. So uh, shifting gears, I think, a bit. Right. Uh, maybe it's time to talk about uh, Ward and Agent 33 because. All right. I, I mean, like what? Like what the hell? OK, first of all, we open up with this whole scene. They're in a diner. Everything's cute. It's all flirty and pumpkin pancakes and whatever. Right. And then they do this whole big drama scene, you know, of like holding up the diner and pulling out their guns and kidnapping this scientist so that he can make her face mask. And all right, fine. If you want to go the drama queen route, go ahead. You want that attention? You want those social media clicks? Fine, whatever. But then as soon as they're done, we have this like sinister moment where she's talking to Ward and she's like, well, we just finished with the doctor. And he was like, it's really important that he not talk, which makes me think they just finished the doctor you know yeah and so if it's so important that he not talk and draw attention to the fact that you had kidnapped him and made him make a nanomask face um why do the whole thing in this disruptive why not just like quietly kidnap him from an alley or something like i i don't understand any of that did any of that make sense to you because it didn't to me no it was terrible I mean, it's not just terrible because Ward is there, although there is that. Mm-hmm. Right. But mm-hmm. there is a very big question of why, why in this moment what? are we turning into Pumpkin and Honey Bunny from Pulp Fiction? That doesn't help yes. us. Yes. Yeah, it's I know. dumb. It's dumb. No, it is. It's really dumb. So here's the thing. Like, I kind of like Agent 33's search for self, right? You know, I mean, she lost herself to Hydra, to Whitehall. You know, they brainwashed her. Yeah. Her compliance was absolutely not rewarded, right? <laughs> you know, she got left behind and then attached herself to Ward because for some reason, I don't know, she needs somebody to tell her what to do or whatever. Well, She's yeah, highly I think traumatized. after the brainwashing. Right. After the brainwashing, she's highly traumatized. Like, okay, fine. Her search for identity, I think, is really interesting. This idea that she can be anybody except who she really is, I think, is actually a really crunchy idea. And I kind of like that. But, you know, we have this whole thing with her, like, you know, like with there's nothing I can do to give back to you for all the things that you do for me. And like, you saved his life. I mean, I think right? you saved yeah. his life. Like, I think you've, I think you've done enough. Nobody and then asked she... you to do that, Agent Thirty Three. Right. And I can you tell know? you at least one person that asked you not to, and his name is me. Right. Exactly. But then you know she's she's putting on all these faces. She's trying to figure out who she is, and it's kind of cool, and I kind of like that. Um, but then she turns into Sky, and it turns into this whole weird, yeah, creepy, almost gross, yeah. sex doll thing with this complete absence of identity in it. And I mean, there's the moment where she smashes the vase, and I'm like, yes, okay, Agent Thirty Three should be smashing shit all over the place. Like she should just be angry you know and i i like that but the rest of it is just so weird and then when she's when she's sky and they're making out and he's like she you know she's not interested and she tried to kill me and i'm not insane and i'm like well well yeah you, you are yeah. kind of a little bit you know and there's this moment where agent 33 says but you seem so well adjusted and i'm like Define adjusted in your eyes. Listen, it's all contextual. To her, he looks like a bastion of sanity. 
guess so. And I mean, I sympathize with her. Like, you know, shit's been really rough. Like, I get it. But it's just, it's so weird. The whole Warden Agent 33 thing. I mean, how do you feel about that whole thing? Am I, are you pretty much with me on it? Or is there value here? Well, I mean, the value we know is that they have to keep reminding us that Ward exists because apparently right. we're going to bring him back <laughs> to do something Baby, that's important no to the actual plot. <laughs> right. Which I also only kind of care about. So I'm in a real rough spot right now. Real rough. This is like yeah. early season one rough is where I'm at. <laughs> wow, that's bad. I mean, honestly, though, like this. Is, but yeah, it's super creepy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not fair. I agree with you. Yes, I'm very much with you that like the concept of who am I now that yeah. the very bad man stripped me of my identity. Yeah. And now I have to rebuild it from nothing. But I have all I all the building blocks that I have are looking like somebody else and not really remembering mm-hmm. who I was. So it's like we've got this like really great, like crunchy, delicious outer shell but then there's like this creepy nougat in the middle that is gross and i don't want it and his name is grant Ward. yeah you know yeah no i think that the the like whitman sampler box of weird <laughs> is actually not a bad analogy for this Who because there's coconut stuff. in here nobody you're asked like, for this right you're like this looks like a caramel oh god no what is that flavor i actually you really know? like coconut but that was the easy one for the listeners Hi, right listeners. no coconut. Yeah. I, I like the coconut too the nougats are the one that, that are always weird Just, oh like, this is I, an I unexpected like strawberry, strawberry, cream? The strawberry yeah the strawberry cream yeah. no that's not good but they throw that in every box and eventually you find it and it's just not good and i think that like you know ward is the strawberry cream of this whitman sampler yep. weird um so yeah i don't know it was i and the thing is that it was so close and it was so interesting like her search for identity i'm really interested in that but i am not interested in ward and ward's whole weirdness and the way that she idolizes him I I mean, it's it's, it's very realistic from the perspective of she 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 needed somebody to attach to. to. Yeah, absolutely. And he was there and Ward's a very Mm -hmm. strong personality and is completely prepared to cultivate assets no matter how dastardly it makes him. Absolutely. So, I mean, it all makes sense, but it's also just like skeevy and weird and gross. Yeah, it is. Without without sort of like paying off anything i mean even the skeevy and weird and gross stuff makes Mm -hmm. sense within the situation and they don't get real egregious with it and whether we'll see what ward's long-term plan is but i appreciate that whatever it is it meant he would not take advantage of her you know yeah i Mm -hmm. so great i mean it's all Mm -hmm. fine but i'm also just like but why i yeah i don't i don't love it it's weird and the thing is like the weird creepiness you know, is is weird and it bugs me. But like, I think the stupidity of the diner scene yeah. is what got me the most. Like it sets such a bad tone because it makes them look like bad, incompetent, idiot spies. Yeah. And you don't want that in your spy show. You want capability. I mean, dastardly? Absolutely. I'm signed on. Give me the bad guys, but make them smart. Make them capable. And Ward is supposed to be super capable. You know, and yet, eh. And you know, to return to the uh, erstwhile Coulson and Hunter buddy cop movie. Yeah. (laughs) So within this batch of episodes, they make a huge deal about how another group of competent agents are like, don't make a bunch of racket and draw attention to ourselves. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of inconsistency going on in this particular batch of three. 
Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Just generally. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Okay. So getting back to like, you know, back at HQ, all the stuff that's been going on there. I do love this moment where Coulson is completely on to Mac. Yeah. You know, and he's talking to him about the car and he comes through with all that stuff. But I also like at this point, first of all, I I wasn't into the whole what are Mac and Bobby up to like intrigue that we've had for the last few episodes before we (laughs) right like I wasn't into that anyway Um, and it feels like you know here we go around the mulberry bush of betrayal again right and and you know, I mean, for me, like, I know they're spies, right? And I mean, you're really into the whole spy-fi thing. Did that feel, like, old to you? Or is it just something that's part of the aesthetic of the of the genre and I should just get over it? Well, uh, yes and no. Because okay. I mm-hmm. think, yes, this kind of who-can-you-trust-enemy-from-within thing is a bedrock of spy fiction. But yeah. we literally just did it. With a giant yeah. reveal after uh, whatever five or six years of building this universe, like we just mm-hmm. did it with Winter Soldier in a yeah. much more interesting and impactful way, and to just mm-hmm. turn around and do it again is such a weird flex right now. I don't. It is it's a weird not flex. Interesting enough after Winter Soldier, and I don't. The only thing that I care about when it comes to the characters is that, like, I mean. I mean I liked Bobby and I liked Mac and now I don't. Mm-hmm. Good job, guys. You know, <laughs> but partially I'm into it, though. I'm partially into it. Like, like intellectually, I'm into it that that they're both shield and they're both trying to do the same thing, but from different philosophical spaces. Yeah. And like, who's right and who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? Like, I think those are really interesting questions. And I like that it's not the kind of betrayal that Ward did, which was very clearly you know, on the wrong side where Bobby and Mac believing that they're doing the right thing. Yeah. Like I'm, I can see it, you know, at the same time, I'm like, Oh God, this again, you know? Okay. This is it for me. This is yeah. it. Cause you're absolutely right. I'm lumping Bobby and Hunter in with kind of a bigger picture thing, but I can't actually see what's going on with them. And that is yeah. interesting, but yeah, it is so undermined their nuance is so undermined by the fact that Shadow Shield is gross. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they are making no effort to make it not gross except for Bobby and Mac and mostly Bobby. Yeah. And Yeah, I don't know. They're hiring Edward James Olmos, who has never played anyone with an uncomplicated worldview in the last 15 years. And he's great at it. You know, but I feel like Gonzalez is kind of a flat pancake of a character and have Edward James Olmos, who is this incredible actor, so capable of so many levels of complexity. It feels like a waste. It feels like a waste of Edward James Olmos, which also bugs me (laughs) because I love him. Bring him into the show. Absolutely. But it's so weird. It looks like they're going to do something more with him. And I just... Mm -hmm. In the middle of these episodes, don't trust it. It's just the honest truth. Because it looks like he's working with, you know, the board of directors and he's Mm -hmm. committed to that concept. But then when he calls May in to talk to her one-on-one, he also sounds like, and these assholes won't just let me put a bullet in your head, you know? (laughs) And I'm like, so what? (laughs) What are you doing? You know? Right. Every time somebody offers him a positive option, he chooses the more sinister negative option. Yeah. Every time. 
And yeah. they're not like way over the top necessarily in comparison, but just like, nope, we're going to gas everybody and put them in handcuffs. Surely they'll help <laughs> us now. Right. And, you know, I mean, we have that whole thing with Colson, where Colson is like, I looked for you. I wanted you on my team. I couldn't find you anywhere. And it seems like, you know, that was also an option. Like if you're both kind of on the same side, why? And you're you're, you know, you've got all of this opposition. Everybody thinks you guys are terrorists, you know, that you would join together and say, you know, hey, let's let's do this thing together, you know, power and numbers and let's join up. And that apparently is what Colson wanted to do. Colson looked for this guy, you know, and couldn't find him. And uh, yeah, so it's all it's all a little weird to me. It feels like a, a waste. But I will say one thing that is awesome about this whole thing are Bobby's batons. The fact that those batons can not only slice and dice bad guys in like 12 different ways, but it's got a laser thing that can cut through I like it. Coulson's desk. I like it a and lot. And then the other end has a magnet that could just pick up a toolbox, you know, very easily. So, uh, so that was kind of fun. It's nice to know that Bobby's batons can do everything. And I will bet you dollars to donuts. She also makes omelets with them. I just think there's nothing these things can't do. She hits so many people in the face. I really don't want them near my food prep, though. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair I have enough. like a final thought about Gonzalez and New Shield. Yes. Because mm-hmm. there is a place where Gonzalez is 100% correct. Yes. He's right about Colson. Colson is hopelessly compromised. Mm-hmm. Colson knew he was hopelessly compromised. May knew he was compromised before he knew he was compromised. Right. Gonzalez mm-hmm. is right to not mm-hmm. trust Colson. Which is a very complicated space since in every other way, Gonzalez seems to be wrong. Super shady. But also, like, I am not sure that we are that the text itself intends for us to feel that Coulson is compromised. I think the text itself is saying Coulson's right. Coulson's the good guy. You know, we 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 see Coulson as the good guy no matter what he does, even when it's super, super questionable. Yeah. This is, yeah, I mean, we're coming back to these questions of what is S.H.I.E.L.D. and is S.H.I.E.L.D. right? And I really like it better when we put them to bed. Yeah, yeah, because it allows you to kind of like go forward into these these other story spaces. I mean, I like this. This is the thing. I like the moral ambiguity. I like the complexity of these philosophical questions. And if I felt like like the story itself was being written specifically to ask those questions, then I'd be like, all right, I'm in. But I don't think that it is. Uh-huh. I think that it's 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 presenting a very complex thing, but I think it it wants it to be simple. I no, it's, I agree. It's working out of the presumption and the premise that it is simple, that Colson is just right and anybody who's anti Colson is just wrong. You're absolutely like, right. Yeah. And May supports that. Like when she comes in, she's like, I made my choice, boom, shoots him, you know, and like helps Colson escape. Um, like May you know, when she comes in and does that, I think we're supposed to be like, yep, absolutely. That's the right way without looking deeper at some of the highly questionable things that Colson has done and continues to do. Uh, we're not I don't think asking those questions. I don't think we're supposed to be asking those questions. So where this whole scenario could be a really interesting, like crunchy philosophical space, I think it's played to be actually fairly simple. Coulson is right. Coulson is good. We love Coulson. Anybody anti-Coulson is bad. That's it. Yeah. No, I think you're right. It's a, And it's a problem. 
Yes. I mean, yes. it's a problem if they want me to care about it. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's the thing is that because it's because it presents all of this complexity in a way that it feels like it doesn't want to talk about or to engage with, I'm like, well, you're just wasting my time. Exactly, you're dangling yeah. Edward James Olmos and all of his wonderful complexity in front of me and you're not going to do anything with it. So, you know, whatever, right? Um, speaking of dangling something in front of me. <laughs> Hello that I really don't care for. Um, how'd you feel about Afterlife and, you know, uh, Lincoln and whatever? I feel like... Am I giving away how I feel about it? No, yeah. I I also would like Afterlife to be more interesting, I guess. <laughs> Again, they tease us with things that could be really interesting. Yeah. I mean, you've got this whole group of powered people that are just kind of like hanging out on this mountaintop, right? Or not yet powered people. Yeah, right? some like of it's them a aren't. big deal that Sky jumped the line, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, I'm 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 really putting all of this in my back pocket because I really think it's going to be a big part of the Inhumans show conversation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But this is actually, without going too far down this rabbit trail very thematically on point for the way the Inhumans run their society. Okay. Yeah, because it's it's interesting the way that they've got this all set up and everybody's like, oh no, it's great and it's wonderful. Except that somebody makes all these decisions about who gets to turn and who doesn't. You know? And like, even though that's how you're born and that's how you're supposed to be, like for people who have this, you know, gene or whatever, have this alien DNA and have the ability to turn and yet are being told, because some of them apparently are, nope, we're not doing that with you. You know, <laughs> you're yeah. not going to turn. You're not going to, you know, how frustrating that must be for some of them and and who makes that decision and how is that decision made? And that does feel kind of tyrannical. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's really interesting because it's played as this like idyllic space, you know, and yet it does have this kind of, it feels a little like sinister underneath. Exactly. Yes. And maybe this is the thing I don't know yet because I'm unspoiled. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not supposed to be that way. Like, I think it probably is. But mm-hmm. even if it's not supposed to, they're putting it right next to all this clearly sinister shield versus shield stuff. Yep. That it's like the flavor kind of crosses over you know these are supposed to be two separate things maybe but i can't help but see them next to each other yeah there's Mm -hmm. a mysterious leadership that we don't really get Mm -hmm. to see and they make and they make decisions that our heroine thinks are questionable and Mm -hmm. i actually think sky is wrong so here i am again in this weird space where my viewpoint character is wrong about everything (laughs) i don't yeah it's not yeah it's it's hard it's a little weird but i mean also there's this thing where like sky has just been betrayed like bobby you know was with the group that came to capture her and then she called for gordon to come and get her brings her to afterlife you know i feel like she was in the i mean again the way i read it i felt like she was in the process of being betrayed by colson and simmons already Mm -hmm. and then she gets hard betrayed with bobby showing up to kidnap her Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which how else was that supposed to look? And then she's like, Gordon, help me. And Gordon helps her. And then Gordon's like, oh, no, precious. We've got nine million secrets and we can't tell you one of them. Exactly. And that's the whole thing is that everybody's always like pat, pat, pat on the head. Don't you worry about it. Just sit there and look pretty, you know, and it's it's really kind of tough to watch. Um, But especially because a lot of that head patting is coming from Lincoln. Lincoln sucks. Lincoln sucks. Thank you very much. Lincoln 
I hate Lincoln for a number of reasons. And big the big part of it is, is that he's got floppy haired douchebag written all over him. Oh, yeah. Like he's just it's like he's he's pretty. And he's pre-med and he's powered and he can tell her everything and he can make her float because of his electricity and whatnot and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, whatever. It's it's such like, I'm hot, you're hot, let's be hot together, like pushing these two people together. And I mean, there's no sense of like who they are as people necessarily oh, no. being anything connected. It's just that they're both pretty. And I hate that when they pair people like that, you know, that it's just because they're both pretty. And, um, and Lincoln, you know, is weird. Like he's supposed to be like super charming and smart and all of these kind of things, but it's just, he's so freaking flat. Like, I just, I don't care. The very minute that man walks on screen, I was like, Lonnie mm-hmm. hates him. <laughs> he hadn't even spoken. And I was yeah. like, Lonnie hates him, but I'm going to give him a chance. And then he right. keeps talking and I was like, no, this is uh-huh. what happens when Forever 21 goes to med school. This is bullshit. Mm-hmm. I hate this yeah. person. It's not good. And yeah, he really is just afterlife boiled down to a person. Like, yeah. isn't this attractive? Isn't it mysterious? Wouldn't you like to make out with it? And I'm like, no, no, and no. No, no. But I do still love Cal, though. Cal in the afterlife is fantastic. I love him. (laughs) He's always great. And I am intrigued by what's going on with him because he's so like, like he's been in there raging out of his mind for however, you know, Uh a week, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, And then when his supposedly dead wife shows up and I'm like what is happening with this I'm very interested in this can we go back to the Cal show yes no I mean I'm really I think that's interesting Raina of course always interesting so the fact that Raina's an afterlife makes it like more interesting there are teases and strains of interesting it's like oh oh, I got a little bite of flavor in this broth exactly but the rest of it is just bad yeah it's just not good. So, um, I, you know, I, I want to like Afterlife because it is so interesting, the idea of all these powered people, you know, and all of that stuff. But because it's, it's so, it's, it's this mix of, you know, this floppy haired douchebag guy, you know, Lincoln, who's, who's pat, pat, pat on the head. And then Gordon, Who's like, oh, yeah, now that I brought you here, uh, I'm not going to tell you anything. And you know how you want me to give a message to your friends? Well, I'm pretty sure they're going to say no. So I'm just going to say no. I'm not going to let anybody know that you're okay. Like he brought her there and then now she's completely under their control. And she has this moment where she's like, yeah, and I wake up naked under a sheet with needles in me. And I mean, granted, they helped her heal. But at the same time, and then and then he's all like, oh, you weren't completely naked. You know, I'm like, oh, Fuck you, her, her, man, her. because I, somebody somebody wrapped her up in that, you know, in that sheet. Like, just, I don't know. It's gross. It's just gross. And I hate Lincoln. And yeah. Yeah. The bedside manner of Dr. McHotten Stuffins is not great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not And good. the worst part for Gordon it, with me is that I really, really liked him. Mm-hmm. I loved yeah. his scene with Sky at the retreat. Yeah. Like it was so sincere, and he was just like, "I'm, I, I, I'm coming to tell you stuff. If you don't want to hear me, I'll walk away." But I think right, he, he was so cool about it. 
Right. And that's how he got her to trust him so that so he could he kidnap could her to afterlife and then be like, oh, don't worry about it, pretty girl. <laughs> you know, welcome and to our hierarchical society where we don't even tell you how you move up in the hierarchy. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's all and the whole stuff, too, where he's like where Lincoln is being like deliberately obtuse about Raina. You know, and then he happens to let it slip that there was somebody else. And then she's like, oh, wait, is Raina here? You know, and he's it's like, oh, God, could somebody just, you know, these guys aren't spies. Like everybody who spies lying to each other. All right, fine. Right. I mean, I get that they're like a secret society, too. I mean, they're they're right. But she's stuck there. Who's she? She's not like she's got a cell phone. Who's she going to call? Like, oh, be there's only one her. way Tell in or out. On. Nobody knows right, where they and it's are. Gordon. Oh. It's Gordon. Like, Gordon's the only one who can get out. She is, like, in prison. It's pretty prison, but it's still prison. Her like, second pretty prison in as many episodes. What the hell? I know. I know. It is. It's kind of nuts. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's they're, they're not great episodes. Although we do get, we do get Kirk Acevedo, who played Charlie in Fringe. And uh, he was Tomas in these episodes, mm-hmm, the one mm-hmm. who got, you know, killed basically by the tree that Scott shot him, or at least hurt by it. I don't <laughs> yeah, know if is he, got he dead or not? I'm not sure yet. I don't know. I don't think so. But, you know, whenever I see Charlie, I want Astrid. You know, sure. <laughs> just like the two should come as a pair. I had this whole like imaginary romance between Charlie and Astra during all of Fringe, and I just really want the two of them together forever. So I ship it. I'm just saying, I ship it. Um, so, uh, so anyway, we got a little Char- a little Kirk Acevedo, so that was fun. Um, and uh, aside from that, I I don't know. It's it's they're not the greatest episodes. <laughs> I am on a roller coaster ride with Agents of Shield, yeah. Lonnie. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, I hate it. Oh, I like it. Oh, they're making yeah. me hate it again. And it, and I really do feel like it's they're making me. I'm not yeah. doing these things to myself. Yeah. No. I mean, I I will say, like you know, we're in a bit of a of a mashed potato moment, you know, here um, with these uh, with these episodes. But I think it does get better, and it definitely gets better in season three. Like you I, know. <laughs> This sounds suspiciously like things you were telling me midway through season one. I was right, though, wasn't I? And didn't yet, you? Didn't it get better? Are. Didn't you like it? So we've got a low ebb. Sure. I mean, it happens. You know, it's not it's and it's nowhere near as bad as a lot of other TV shows I could mention. <laughs> one, one of which I actually do another podcast on that has much, much lower, <laughs> much lower lows. Low points. I know the much one of which you speak and I can that Ages of Shield. Yes, absolutely. But it's still interesting. It's still it's still great. I still love the show. I will continue to love the show really super hard. So when you need to hate it, it's okay. I'll love it enough for both of us. All right. So in these three episodes that you did not enjoy, tell me there was something <laughs> for your favorite part. Well, they're all tainted. Aww. I mean, it would be Gemma tricking Bobby. Do you feel except... betrayed, Joshua? Is that? <laughs> Do you feel like maybe the show has betrayed you? Y- yes. <laughs> There's an enemy from within, and it's called the writer's room. <laughs> it's, yeah. I Okay, mm-hmm. there's a couple of things that I enjoyed, but with yes. caveats. Okay. So, my favorite part would be Gemma tricking Bobby, except that I did not feel at that point that I was supposed to be rooting for Gemma. <laughs> I mean, I knew I wasn't supposed to be rooting for Bobby. <laughs> right. But I was also like, well, I just shock each other please i don't know mm-hmm. and it right. would be fitz and simmons working together except i feel like that 
came a little too fast and out of nowhere and in the midst of some stuff that would actually make it more difficult than easier. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, it's tough. I don't, I don't know. Cal. Cal. Oh no. Cal is definitely a high point. Cal's fantastic. Yeah. All right. I think Cal is, is totally legit for a favorite moment. Of course, for me, it is Gemma and Fitz. Like oceans, not eleven. Uh, oceans chewing it, I <laughs> right. guess. Um, oceans duo <laughs> pulling off, pulling off the heist. Um, you know, getting the the toolbox out with Fitz. They played that whole thing perfectly. And then when he when he gets that sandwich, like that sandwich has so much meaning to me. It is so like filled with meaning and pesto aioli, and um and I just absolutely love it. And I I love that moment when he opens it up and he's just so happy and like they are together again and like they belong together and working together on the same side. So I loved that whole thing. I don't blame you. I understand completely why you did. I (laughs) wish I could join you in an unalloyed appreciation for um, the love story of a man and his sandwich. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to shout at us for being so wrong about everything... Come find us on Twitter. By the way, we also like it when you tell us that we're right. Like, I really yes. like to be told that I'm right about stuff, too. Just honestly. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich, and I am at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is listen up, a-holes. This episode of Listen Up A-Holes was brought to you by Chipperish Media producer, Alice. Alice supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward gets to break the larynx of anyone who betrays her. Thank you, Alice, and thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions and makes Listen Up A-Holes a thing. To find out how you too can become a Listen Up A-Holes producer, visit the Patreon links in the show notes. Producer level support options are available at both Pulp Diction Productions and Chipperish Media. But even just a dollar a month gets you access to the Discord chat and the Listen Up A-Holes chat room where people are sharing all of their smart thoughts on the MCU. Yeah, there's lots of fantastic discussion going on there. And it's really good. And Joshua was there a lot talking like deep cut stuff about comics. So if you're into that, definitely go and get a little extra education um, from the high professor of Superhero University. I cannot resist questions in the discord chat that ask me very complicated superhero questions i can't resist it oh it's so great it's so great there's so much fantastic discussion going on there i love it if you can't support us financially there are other ways to show your support write a five-star review on apple podcasts or itunes or whatever it's calling itself these days and tell people about us on social media or even in real life Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2, Episodes 17 through 19. Until then, sorry, Eddie. The tiger's been loose for a while. In Love in the Time of Hydra, Ward and Agent 33 kidnap a scientist to get her face mask working, then break into Talbot's compound to get Ralph Bakshi, who's compliant... Wait... That's not right. Sunil. Ralph Bakshi is the guy who made <laughs> the Lord of the Rings cartoons. <laughs> That's fantastic. And then All they right. kidnap the guess Hobbit. I guess there's no way that's not going into the little outtakes at the end. I just seems unlikely. Seems unlikely. (laughs) Especially since you're in charge of editing. All right, fine. Let me go ahead and give this another shot then.